and welcome to the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. I'm Jeff Cranson. Garrett Daw is nearly a two-decade veteran of the Michigan Department of Transportation. He's held a number of positions in the North region, mostly, which is the northern lower peninsula of Michigan, a vast, very rural area encompassing several counties. He's been a transportation service center manager and an operations manager. And throughout all of that, he's had a major focus on traffic and safety. It's fitting that he will become the new engineer of traffic and safety for MDOT, assuming a, a role that has statewide responsibilities, replacing Mark Bott, who has been in that position for several years and is retiring at the end of January. So Garrett talks about everything from his background and how he got to where he is now and why operations and traffic safety still stoke his passions. He'll talk about what he sees coming in the future as he and his colleagues and people across the country try to find more ways to build and design safer systems for all. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. So again, I'm with Garrett Daw, who is about to take over as engineer of traffic and safety for the entire state for trunk lines that are managed under the jurisdiction of the Michigan Department of Transportation. Garrett, thanks for taking time to talk with us. I appreciate you having me, Jeff. Thank you. So let's start a little bit with your background. Um, you've got a pretty extensive background in, in operations. Um, you mm -hmm. obviously care a lot about operations and traffic and safety. And, and tell me as part of that, what it means to you, because I still have a feeling that outside of the industry, a lot of people don't understand why we call it operations because they think if I drive the vehicle, I'm the operator. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, traffic safety is near and dear to me and it, it's not because of any single crash or event that, that impacted me or, or my family, fortunately. Um, but it, it's just, a, it's something that when you work in it, you recognize the the personal ties that it has to people and how people's lives can be so impacted by a single event. Um, it really provides you a lot of motivation to to make sure that those things don't happen um, or to reduce the the likelihood that they're going to happen as much as possible. So that that's my primary motivation in working in traffic safety and operations. How did how did you get here? Talk about the other things you've done um, at MDOT in transportation in general. Sure. Um, well, I, I started with MDOT back in 2004. I actually started in the metro region in the engineering development program, worked at the Oakland and Macomb TSCs there. And then um, within a year and a half or so, I, I transferred up to the to the north region at the the then Grayling TSC. And, and northern Michigan is, is where I where I grew up. So that's that's the reason I came back up here. Um, uh, you know, I've worked in, in several different roles within the North region um, as a design engineer, a brief stint in pavement management, but uh, the majority of my time has been spent working as a traffic and safety engineer, both at the TSC and the region level. Um, I also spent three years at the Alpena TSC uh, as the TSC manager at that location too. So um, I think that gives me a, a pretty unique perspective on how TSCs and regions operate in this arena. Yeah. So do you think going back to your younger years, uh, you know, even high school and college, did you have a particular interest in the 
the design and traffic and safety aspect of civil engineering, or did that kind of evolve as, as your career developed? You know, I think that probably evolved. I always had an interest in maps um, as a kid. My my grandfather worked for that as a surveyor. Um, oh, wow. So I, yeah, so I'm, you know, I always kind of had a feeling I might end up in the in the DOT in some in some respects. So that's why I went to Michigan Tech to, to the civil engineering program. But um, it wasn't until I started working at MDOT and I had an EDP rotation in the metro region and traffic and safety and then was a traffic and safety engineer in Grayling. It wasn't until those that I really kind of realized that this was a bit of a calling for me and it was really became a passion. For the uninformed, explain EDP. EDP, it stands for Engineer Development Program, and it's something that MDOT puts new engineers through in many cases to, to see many parts of the department. And it, and it works. It's a good system. It, it's what exposes Absolutely. people like Absolutely. you. Absolutely, and we're look. still doing it today. And yes, it's a great way for folks to see the whole department and maybe understand what, what part of the department might fit them best long term. I guess to jump right into the safety aspect of this. Do you do you wonder sometimes with all the education, you know, all the technology, all the things that we've developed, all the avenues for messages, that it just still seems just very difficult that we, you know, we make some strides here and there and lowering the number of, of crash deaths, but overall it's it's still an alarming number. And, you know, I know that people at MDOT, I didn't know this before I came to the department, how personally uh, people that do what you do take that. And it just must be really frustrating. It can be. Yes, it can be very frustrating. It can be rewarding at the same time. I think you have to look at it in, you know, smaller scales sometimes. Um, for example, if we look at the North region and we look at trunk lines only, and we look at the last five years, we've actually have seen a downward trend. Now, it's not a steep trend that we're seeing, but a downward trend, it, it, you find little wins here or there. Um, but and I think if you look back decades for the whole state, I think we are doing quite a bit better than we used to be. But it does feel like maybe we've hit a, a plateau a bit statewide. And um, I think it's just a new a new challenge for us to figure out how to get those numbers moving down again. Well, yeah, obviously there was a blip in the right. overall trajectory because of the pandemic. And um, mm-hmm. even though there were fewer people on the road, the people who were on the road were driving faster. Right. And there were fewer crashes, but the crashes that did occur were more severe and, you know, more people died there for a mm-hmm. while. And I know you you would say that that wasn't as noticeable in the very rural parts of the state <clears throat> where the North right. region is. But right. you're still aware you follow it from a national and, and statewide perspective. So, I mean, how do you feel like I mean, talk about some of those things, some of the the, the small wins that you've you know been a part of and, and how you can build on those. Right. Well, I, it, it can be things as simple as maybe a roadside delineator or something like that, um, where it, we've actually developed a, kind of a statewide standard up, up here in the North region that we're proud of. Um, and, and to see that, you know, the, the deployment of those on, on rural unlighted trunk lines, whether it's freeway or non-freeway, that they have had an impact, like a, in some cases, a, up to a 30% reduction in, in fatal and serious injury crashes occurring in dark conditions. Um, I, I think, you know, looking at small wins such as that's just one example, I think it can help direct you, um, you know, down the road and, and say, well, some of these lower cost systemic treatments, while they're not going to have the same impact on every road, the more we deploy them, 
the more of an overall impact I think we'll have. And, and I think that's what the goal ought to be. So, yeah, when you talk about those delineators and those kind of dovetail with, you know, rumble strips and Mm -hmm. with making sure that the paint lines are properly reflective, not to mention signs, as you know, um, the Facebook warriors like to hit us up all the time about why we're replacing perfectly good signs, because Mm -hmm. during the day they can't see that that sign has, you know, lost its retro reflectivity at night. Correct. Right. Um, yeah. So all those things are 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 incremental, but they, they do make a difference. I mean, do you feel like in, in your new role with more of a statewide presence and, and opportunities for influence that uh, you can spread some some other ideas, things you borrow from other states, maybe that you know from peer exchanges or um, just I mean it, it's a it's a lot to take on and, and you got to be uh, practical about it, I guess. But how do, how do you feel going into that job? Well, I, I feel confident. I mean, there's some nervous excitement there. I think anytime you, you start a new role like this uh, and, and there's you know more responsibility with it, I think it's probably wise to to take it slow. I, I think MDOT, you know, that the, in both central office and across the regions, um, is doing some very, very good things in traffic and safety. And so I think it's important for me to make sure I completely understand what it is that we're doing now and then really start to focus in on what's working. What what safety treatments are we applying that are proven? They're proven to reduce fatals and serious injuries. And let's focus on those. What And then on the flip side, what is not working? What do we invest in quite a bit that maybe isn't having as much of an impact on those numbers? And and maybe let's let's look at it closer and see if, if maybe we can make a change there. So um, again, that that will all become or that will come gradually. I, I have no intentions of stepping into the role and, and making immediate changes. Um, but you know, as I as I observe and as we learn things and, and learn each other, I think I think we have the opportunity to make some improvements and, and I'm looking forward to that. We will continue the conversation right after a quick break. The Michigan Department of Transportation reminds you that when a vehicle collides with another vehicle, person, or other object, it is a crash, not an accident. By reducing human error, we can prevent crashes and rebuild Michigan roads safely. So one thing I know that you're aware of, it's been discussed elsewhere, and you seem like an adherent to the principle that that maybe our vehicles, with all the the creature comforts, mm-hmm. all the technology um, that we've made driving feel so comfortable that it's it's easy to indulge in the distractions. Um, is that something you you feel like you want to tackle? Absolutely. Um, I don't think it's just vehicles either. I think sometimes the the roads themselves and the way we design them and, and build them can play into that. Um, it, it's very easy to blame, and rightly so, blame a driver that's distracted for the reason that a crash occurred. Of course, that's the reason. Um, but should we just leave it there and say, "Well, it's the driver's fault. Let's let's move on." I don't I don't think so. I think we can design and and build our system perhaps to accommodate those those issues, not to you know allow someone to use their phone, for example, while they're driving and make that comfortable. But let's let's design the system perhaps to make someone a little bit less comfortable, make it feel more dangerous to do some of these things that people do on the roads. Not unreasonably so, but the more comfortable I think we get with making drivers a little bit less comfortable, I think that could translate into safer operations on our roadways. 
Yeah, talk a little bit more about that, I guess, more specifically what you I mean, yeah. I, I get it from a right. from a complete streets standpoint when we're talking mm-hmm. about especially the very disturbing uh, rise across the country in pedestrian crashes and things yep. that we could do to to make drivers in in urban areas or areas where there are where they're where they're in conflict with pedestrians or cyclists. So is that kind of what you're talking about or you're, you're talking about taking it beyond that? Well, I'm certainly talking about that aspect, the complete streets and the vulnerable road user crashes that we experience in urban areas. Uh, it could be applied to work zones. Uh, certainly, I think the more, you know, as long as it's not taken to an unreasonable level, the more uncomfortable you make drivers driving in those environments, the safer I think they tend to drive through them. Uh, but I think it can also be applied to the, the rural two lane, two ways or rural freeway applications. Um, I'm not saying that we need to remove all of our safety features and make it feel dangerous. That, that's not where I'm going with this. Uh, but what I think we can do is, you know, maybe instead of a 12-foot lane, it's an 11-foot lane. Maybe that rumble strip's a little closer to the edge line or on the edge line. Um, something that makes a driver feel as though they should keep both hands on the wheel um, in order to avoid some of those nuisances that we can put out there, such as a rumble strip. I think little steps like that probably can make a bigger difference in um, actually reducing some of these numbers. So talk a little bit, I, I brought that up earlier, and what you said just triggered a memory that uh, mm-hmm. early on I heard complaints around the state about rumble strips. I don't hear yeah. um, that as much anymore, I suppose, in some cases near a lake community, perhaps, where people sure. are really tuned into the noise. You still hear that. But overall, do you feel like there's been broader acceptance of rumble strips? I think there has. Um, you know, I, I was a, a brand new traffic and safety engineer when we started deploying those. And uh, so I got daily calls from from folks, primarily folks that lived along the roads that were complaining about them. But I think once you start seeing the data come back and how impactful they are at reducing lane departure crashes, I, I think those complaints start to subside. And it's just something that people tend to get more used to. Um, and frankly, we have more tools in the toolbox now than we used to have with regard to rumble strips. Um, there's a sinusoidal version that doesn't create as much noise outside of the vehicle that perhaps could be used in these areas that traditionally had noise concerns. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, rumble strips is just one example, but it's a very good example of, you know, safety tools that I think we can really look at utilizing more, even more than we do now. So, uh friend of mine recently who's a township trustee here in Kent County asked me about uh, a, a road, a trunk line that intersects with a county road. And um, he feels like anecdotally and a lot of people he talks to feel that, you know, there's been a higher crash rate and that they should look at a traffic light. Mm-hmm. Um, I explained a little bit I know about this and how the warrants work. This is a conversation I know you've had several times in your career. Oh, yeah. yep. so, so talk about that and how you how do you deal with that when when somebody, a local official or just a, a resident, um, when that's there to them, that's the go to safety measure, you know, that a traffic signal yep. will solve everything. How do, how do you frame that conversation? Well, it is. And sometimes, frankly, Jeff, sometimes a traffic signal is the right is the right answer to a certain intersection. If you're continually having angle or T-bone type crashes at an intersection um, and there's just enough traffic maybe to meet one of those warrants, sometimes that is the best decision to install one. But often it, it's not. And we do have to meet those federal warrants or, or at least one of them to, to justify installing a traffic signal. Um, so in those cases where a signal's just not in the cards, right, I, I think there are many other 
options that sometimes we overlook. Um, is there a skew to that intersection that's limiting someone's ability to see in both directions? And if so, is there something simple, perhaps with pavement markings, to improve the sight angles that drivers are looking at? Do we have multiple approach lanes on that side road to where if some if both cars are sitting next to each other, they're blocking each other's sight? Do we need both those approach lanes? I think going beyond just the, well, it doesn't warrant a signal, so we're just going to table it and move on. I think sometimes that's a mistake. I think you can look at other, maybe lower cost treatments to improve the situation. So that's usually how I approach those. Yeah. So the average citizen, the average driver looks at it from the standpoint of what's the downside, right? Like mm -hmm. like you can at least do this, um, do something and, and put up traffic light, but there can be a downside. So can you talk about that? Well, you can. I mean, traffic signals in general, and what I was always taught coming up the ranks, right, was that traffic signals tend to increase the number of crashes that you have. And and, and usually you're switching from a maybe an angle crash pattern to a rear end crash pattern by introducing new stops on a on a main road. So you always have to look at that. Um, and if you're even, you know, if you're not looking at a traffic signal or you are, there are technologies that can maybe mitigate for that. Um could you repeat a, a, the other part of that question, Jeff? I started rambling just, just, and I forgot. No, 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 that's fine. Just that. Just <laughs> that, that I, I think people just tend to think, you know, well, why wouldn't you do this? Because what's the downside? Yeah. And I think you just explained it very well. That, well, there there can be a downside. Unintended consequences could be that crash okay. rates go up. But there are different kinds of crashes, but there's more of them. So. Right. And it's very dependent on the the, the environment that the intersection is in, you know, there's many factors that go into it. And I think we also have to, it's not a popular answer, but you have to consider the cost of them. I mean, it costs about half a million dollars these days to install a traffic signal. Um, and then we must maintain them. So I think we need to ensure before it's installed that it is justified um, and that we, that, that those expenses are, are uh, reasonable. So you're you're a dad. I don't know if your kids are old enough to drive yet, but uh, not quite yet. No. Okay. So as you look to that day with both fear and 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 you know trepidation, um, what do you think about drivers training and how will you be if you're in the car um, and they're being taught things and you know you think uh, well maybe that's not quite right or they should be emphasizing this. I mean, have you thought about that and how you'll you'll approach that? You know, I have, and I think that you definitely have to support the, the information that they're getting from the instructor. I, I can't imagine that they'd be being taught things that are wrong, uh, but I think the fact that they're going to have a traffic and safety engineer sitting in the passenger seat next to them, they won't like it. But I think, um, <laughs> you know, I think they'll get some other advice, perhaps, that a, a safety instructor won't get. Um, you know, having read thousands of of crash reports throughout my career, um, I, I tend to see crashes before they happen. So little things like, well, don't pull out yet because this car is turning right and, and you, there might be someone behind them that that's being screened. Um, little things like that, that that I've picked up from reading crash reports, I think will probably be introduced to my children as they're learning how to drive. But yeah, the same anxieties that everyone has, I think, but maybe enhanced a little bit knowing what I know. Well, and if nothing else, you'll teach your kids that the word is crash, not accident, right? Oh, for sure. Yes. That'll be instilled. Well, yeah. Well, Garrett, thanks. I uh, I, I, I want to wish you luck. It's uh, it's such an important role, and uh, you've done really good things in the North Region, and um, I, I'm really excited about uh, having you take this on and bring some some new perspective to the 
to the role. So um, I want to wish you luck. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. And I, I, I should also mention that I, I'm replacing Mark Bott, who's been in the position for many years and has been a pillar in the traffic safety community. So very big shoes to fill, but I'll do my best. Yes, big shoes to fill indeed. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Garrett. Thanks, Jeff. I'd like to thank you once more for tuning in to Talking Michigan Transportation. You can find show notes and more on Apple Podcasts or Buzzsprout. I also want to acknowledge the talented people who help make this a reality each week, starting with Randy Debler, who skillfully edits the audio, Jesse Ball, who proofs the content, Courtney Bates, who posts the podcast to various platforms, and Jackie Salinas, who transcribes the audio to make it accessible to all. 